Hey everyone, welcome back to the Eminem Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Alongside me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Uh, today we got a bunch of news to break down. We got a really big thing and then some other couple big pieces we wanted to talk about. But we figured we'd start off with the biggest news of the week and... Maybe not the year, but uh, one of the biggest news pieces of the year for sure. I, I think Cherry probably takes this one. But well, That's what I said to my mom. She was like, so this is like huge news, right? It's like, well, if it wasn't for Don Cherry just being fired, this would be like the biggest story of the season, I yeah. think. If for somehow you're listening to a podcast and don't know what we're talking about, Mike Babcock was fired. Uh, at the time of recording, it was two days ago he was fired. Again, I have a really busy weekend. This might not get out till Sunday night, Monday morning, so it might be a little bit... Um, Last night, they played their first game under Sheldon Keefe. He is the new head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. They beat Arizona 3-0 is what it was when I left. 3-1. Okay, I say it was 3-0 when they I left They ruined the shutout with, like, I forget how much time left, but it was pretty much nothing. They played an okay game. I didn't think, I watched a bunch of it. I didn't think they played awesome, but I thought they played all right. Um, we'll get into that in a second, though. Uh... I think we should get our thoughts on Mike Babcock being canned first, because I know this is... I don't want to say it's a Mike Babcock-friendly podcast, but we're definitely more supporters of Mike Babcock than I think the general public has been for about a year and a half now, maybe even two years. Agreed. So what were what was your take on the Babcock firing? Um, Just kind of like in a broader context, it like when he signed this contract, like I wouldn't have guessed it was going to end this way or at least this early. Yeah. Like it's too bad it didn't work out, but... It became more and more clear this season that something needed to change. Yeah. And that's pretty like pretty clearly the thing that everybody looks to when something needs to change, right? Yeah, and I think it's fair to say, I mean, I don't to the people who say Mike Babcock's not a good coach, I think that you're wrong. You're yeah. wrong. I do think though that it's fair to say Mike Babcock wasn't the right coach for this team. Well that's like uh the best take was Mike Babcock was the right coach at the time they hired him. I hope Sheldon Keefe is now. Yes. And, like, Mike Babcock was absolutely the right coach for this team at the beginning. It's just, it just by the end, obviously started to look like that was no longer the case. Yeah. And that doesn't make him necessarily a bad coach. I'm sure he will excel if he decides to work again wherever he goes. But Toronto looked like they needed a change. Yeah, and if you look at how this roster's built versus what his coaching philosophies are, they just don't match up. They just they don't match up. It's as simple as that. And Which again, so like his he was all, like the Leafs have been all offense the entire time he's been there, like basically until recently. Yes, but he's also preached defense, so it's like they've yeah. still been like I don't know. I feel like how, not all the time, but I feel like a big part of them being all offense might have been in spite of Mike Babcock, not just because of him. Could be like he gets. He's obviously. I'm not giving him no credit. But like he put a rookie first line together. The first like yeah. Matthews. Well, yeah. And Nylander, so what I should Hyman. say is, I feel like people don't remember how bad the Leaf situation was when he came in, when he, Lou came in, when Shanahan came in. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of recency bias talking about the Mike Babcock yes. tenure. Yes, and Mike Babcock, for what it's worth, did provide some stability as coach. Yeah, he provided a huge a, amount of stability yes, at first. He provided a way of this is how it is. You do it my way, or you get out. Um, and I know that can be very overrated at times in hockey, but I think this was an organization that absolutely needed it because this was the biggest tire fire in sports for years and years and years. Yeah, the team was a complete train wreck yeah. before him and Lou came in. Exactly. And what he did with that 15-16 team, the tanking team. He should have won the Jack Adams. <laughs> we both. They had, like, 
top half analytical numbers, and they he just had one of those. They were playing Garrett Sparks down the stretch. Yeah, I and forgot like, about Garrett that. Garrett Sparks when he was like twenty two years old or whatever. Yeah, like so that was an that was an amazing, well coached team in terms. They just didn't have the talent, and then even his second year, no one expected that team to be anywhere near what they were going to. Like no one expected them to make the playoffs, and then they took the Washington Capitals to Game Six, and like in like four overtimes, I'm pretty sure too. Yeah, like the first two years of Babcock's tenure, he was did basically everything you would want. Like Every, he wasn't perfect, obviously. There were still gripes to have, but like no coach is perfect. But even like year three, like that first loss against Boston, I think in the playoffs he started to come alive a little more. That but, was the problem when Cat. It, it's always tough to analyze these things, but it looked like Cassidy outcoached him there because of how much they just feasted on the inability to move the puck. Yes, on the right side. Yeah, that and, was when people started to really sour on And them. you could argue that that was also roster construction, too, because they didn't really have anyone on the right side just on the roster to move the puck like that, right? Yeah, it's pretty much never as simple as yeah. it's only the coach's fault. But throughout that whole year, he coached them pretty well, too. It was just that playoff series where people started to sour on him. And then... That was the year in the second half when they started to play really defensively, too. Yes, And yeah. people, including myself, really didn't like that. Yeah. But it was at the point where it's like, look... We know these guys Our third. can score goals. We know they're going to play Boston. I don't really know what else his job was to do other than to teach them how to. Like, he's not trying to teach Austin Matthews how to score five-on-five five goals. No. His job was pretty clearly to try to get them to play defense. Yeah. So I think it's absolutely fair to say that Mike Babcock has done a very good job. I think the overrated talks, I feel like he is probably slightly overrated. Like, I feel like people don't realize just how good the teams he's coached is. He's one of those guys I think is going to get the absolute most out of bad teams, yep. but might he did not that be in his final year in Detroit. Yes, too. and yeah, his final couple of years in Detroit, mm-hmm. like that. He probably he him alone, not alone, but he was a huge reason that playoff streak extended like three years longer than it should have. Yeah, because he coached some not great Detroit teams to first round exits. Yeah, um, that was the other big thing when because one of the big arguments against Babcock in the past, before this year blew up in his face, was just like, oh, he hasn't won a playoff series in forever. It's like, well, if you look at his rosters, his best chance was really last year versus Boston, where they lost in a game seven. seven yeah. so like, and, I mean, he, it, I think he absolutely was outcoached in that series, but... He was outcoached in that game, like, aggressively. Yeah. In the series, I thought... I was happy with Babcock until game seven last year. I don't know. There was... Like, I was, I was less... Or at least Unhappy not upset. With, yes, yeah. I was. I was say there were still people who were really mad. I mean, they were mad at Marlowe's ice time, which fair enough, I guess. But again, the I think you could look at the Kadri thing and say, okay, that was a huge deterrent there to what he could do. But yeah. either way, yeah, I, I feel like when you're looking at his legacy, I mean, he has the cup. He has the JS Chagare Cup, uh, insane run in '03 where. Shiger just decided, I'm going to be the best player. I always forget he was a Ducks coach yeah. one time. Um, and then he had just, like, prime Datsuk, Zetterberg, and also had Nick Lindstrom on those teams. Those are some uh, decent hockey players, I guess. Yeah, they're all right. And then, so, and then the the, the thing to me is he coached Mike, Be- uh, the Team Canada team, to a 2-1 win against Latvia. Where it was like, I was legitimately worried in 2014 watching now, a game against Latvia. And I know the shots <laughs> were like, the, the Latvian goaltender did play very well. Like, I don't very, think the very things well. Mike Babcock does poorly resulted in like a 2% shooting percentage of that game. Uh, but like, or 4%, he whatever preached whatever like, like, chip it in, don't do much, don't use your skill more than you need to. Like, I don't, like, I don't know. There was, on Puck Soup, there was an interesting conversation, and Sean McIndoe was trying to, uh, 
make the argument that the 2014 Canada team wasn't as stacked as everyone remembers it, and it absolutely absolutely was. I think you can make the argument in 2010 that they were underdogs to the field because they started the tournament 3-2 and two in round robin or whatever, 2-1-2. and two. But it does speak to the talent on those teams that it's not underdogs relative to who they're playing, it's it, underdogs to, to the, the field. field. Yes, yeah. exactly. But, I mean, I just got a good laugh because uh, uh, Greg and Ryan uh, Lambert were absolutely laughing at the 2014, him trying to defend the 2014 team not being favorites to the field, yeah. which I believe they... Like, I don't remember, but I believe they probably had a 50% chance of winning. <laughs> it was probably quite... I. It was them or America that was going to win. Yeah. And maybe Sweden, Sweden, but Sweden had an outside chance, and they just got lucky that they didn't match up against one of those two for the uh, uh, semis. But anyways, my point being is that I think Mike Babcock can, when you put him in the right situation, he'd be an absolutely amazing coach. But I think it's very clear that with how Dubas wants this roster constructed... Uh, it's not necessarily how he wants it. I still think that he wants his fourth line to be, you know, the type that goes out and just, like, the things where he sends his fourth line out for a goal for or a goal against after. I don't think you should do that. I think... What do you mean? So after they got scored on or scored a goal, he'd automatically send his fourth line out. Oh, yeah. I don't think you should be doing that after a shift. It depends on the context. Like Not automatically. No, but, like... If you so say say your team gets scored on late or whatever with like five minutes left and it was the third line that was out and the first line just played, you should be throwing your second line out there, not your fourth line to go take a forty second shift. Yes, so throw your second line out there, try and get it right back. Same with even if you get a goal late, like that's a, I think to me that's a little bit more acceptable. But throw the other line out, see if you can capitalize on those momentum shifts. Like I know there's so many momentum shifts in the game, yeah. but it's like those are the little things you could at least try and take advantage of. Yeah, it would be worth pursuing. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's a small gripe, but it's just a bunch of stuff like that too, right? Where And it's like, he wants his fourth line to be built in a very, very certain way, and it's, you know, certain guys need to have a certain role, and that's all they can do. And yeah. Well, the big thing is, Dubas basically said yesterday, in more words than this, because he low-key talks a lot to say Nothing. not all that much yeah. too, but like, he basically said him and Babcock's visions just didn't align. Yes, he said they were never... On the same page at all. Um, and by Dubas's roster moves, anyways, I think we can infer what he wants is a fourth line that's trying to score goals. Yeah, and he I, wants a whole team that can play offensively, yeah. move the puck up ice. and. Yeah, I think he wants to not necessarily roll four lines, but like he wants to be able to have every line be a scoring threat. And same with on the defense. He wants every defense player to be able to move the puck up ice seamlessly and yeah. chip in the offensive zone. To and, get those forwards in position to be a scoring threat. And that's why he picked up Tyson Berry. And I think, you know, obviously the contract's the big thing in the CC trade, but CC can make an up ice pass. Like, Especially if he gets a little bit of time. He's much better than Zaitsev or even Hainsey was at like, getting his head up and putting it D-to-D or D-to-D or blue line to blue line to a winger up front. Yeah, and his, to be above who he's replacing, all he had to do was beat out Zaitsev. So yes. And, the bar's pretty low there. But, I mean, and Babcock had Barry and CeCe just being, you know, defensive stalwarts or whatever. It's like, that's not how they should be playing, and that's not how you should be using this roster. Yeah. Like, I think we've talked about it uh, plenty on this podcast— I don't know if all offense is going to work in the playoffs, but if you're building your roster like that, you at least have to try. Yeah, the le- the thing is, I guess like I can't be 100% confident all offense is going to work in the playoffs. I'm pretty sure it will, but like with this Leafs roster, you don't have a choice. No, not at all. Like, like you need to try it. Like it's Dubis has clearly built the roster this way. It needs to be played that way. 
And yeah. I, like fair, like he was Dubis went on TSN Overdrive 1050 last night, and it was a really good interview. I, if you have, I would recommend going and listening to it. It's on the podcast apps. It's hour two for yesterday. Uh, so this would be Friday, I guess, by the time. Or no, sorry. This would be Thursday's podcast, Hour 2. It's at about halfway through the episode, and it's about a 20-minute interview. It's really good. He he pretty much went through, and he said, yeah, you know, like, it's on me as well, as much as Mike. But at the same time, like, we all need to be responsible. And he said, I'm willing to put my job and my career clearly on trying to figure out a new way to win. He's like, that's always been my philosophy all the way up. It's like, I get that we, you know, there's certain things you need to do, and there's certain things you need to tweak, but... I mean, you can either go with standard quo and hope that it works out, or you can try something new and improved, and, you know, maybe it doesn't work, but I'm willing to take the chance that it does. And I think that kind of thinking is absolutely the kind of thinking we need in hockey. That's the mentality you want at the head of your team. Yes, exactly. And it's good that he has enough... Like, he clearly has a lot of confidence in Sheldon Keefe, because firing, I don't know where Babcock ranks and wins of all time, but, like... It's got to be up there. He's like top 10 He picked up, probably. what, is 700, 700 the other night, yeah. right? So, so let's say he's 7th for 700th or whatever. Firing a coach of Mike Babcock's stature, paying out the rest of his money or whatever to hire your guy is definitely the kind of decision that if it goes poorly can cost you your job. He's be 5th, I believe. Oh, he's 5th all time? Well, this is from 2016, the Sportsnet article, and it has Ken Hitchcock at 733. Okay, and so, yeah. Pat Quinn, Dick Irvin, Lindy Ruff are not coaching anymore. Yeah, so he's probably five. Yeah, Lindy Ruff might be ahead of him. I can't remember last time he coached. But anyways, he's five or six. But yeah. either way, yes. And what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, and so uh, I, I figured, should we get to Sheldon Keefe, I guess, maybe? Yeah, oh, actually, geez. no, sorry. I had one more thing I want to say about that. Okay. Uh, with the bringing in your guy. The other thing now that I'm seeing a lot more in radio and just online is Brendan Shanahan's beginning to be brought into this, and that's absolutely mm-hmm. fair because it is very clear that he has a big role in this as well. Yeah, um, and it's rumored, I don't know if it's true, that he wouldn't let Dubas fire. Yes, um, exactly. Babcock, Babcock in the side. And Shanahan's the one who came out and fired Babcock with Dubas this past week. They put Shanahan's name in the tweet, yes. not Dubas's. Yes. And so he, and Shanahan came out and he said, you know, I was the one who hired Babcock. I thought it was only right that I was the one who let him know. But it was a split decision. Like, we talked about it all all year or whatever. And we knew it was this time to make a change. But um, now Shanahan's name is being mentioned more. And I think that's absolutely fair. Because yeah. uh, as much as we talk about, uh, as much as you just said, Dubas is going from a guy who has fifth in all-time wins or whatever to a guy who's never had NHL experience and his guy... Well, guess what Shanahan did just a year and a half ago with Lou Lamorello, one yeah. of the most notable GMs ever in hockey, and he gave a guy with no NHL experience, or, like, no NHL, like, major GM, GM experience, right? Yeah. And, again, that's fair. Like, I don't blame him at all. I thought that was absolutely the right move to make, but yeah. now it's him being involved, too, because it's like, okay, now your GM's shooting his bullet in the chamber. How long before you have to shoot your bullet in the chamber, and then people are asking what you're doing here? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's totally fair. You know, uh, it's clear that Shanahan has a big help in what Dubas is doing. I think the final call is probably Dubas's. But, uh, I mean, there's been reports even last year, you know, it was like four or five, or when Lou was GM, it was Lou, Dubas, Babcock, Shanahan, and someone else were always talking about all the moves they made. Or Hunter, probably. Yeah, yes, it was Hunter. And that's a lot of voices, but, I mean, that's also not the worst way to do it either, right? Like, yeah. try and get everyone's opinion so you don't have a bunch of uh, confirmation bias and stuff like that. Try and get everyone's opinion who looked at or who sees things differently and go from there. Yeah, exactly. And, like, as long as they're smart people, their input should be valuable, right? Yeah, like, and I think that, you know, I, I have my gripes with Lou, but I think in terms of 
obviously experience, I think he's a very good guy to have there if you can have him there. Yeah, there are a lot of things GMs have to do that we will never see. That You have to assume Lula Amorello knows his way yeah. around. Like, I don't really know off the top of my head, but like I'm sure there are hundreds of decisions we never see that GMs make. Yes, and I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to criticize Lou too much because his Isles are currently on a 14-0-1 run, but uh, still, I like obviously I think some of the bottom six contracts he likes to hand out aren't great, but at the same time, the way he can just kind of literally cheat is what it is. Just cheat is was quite magnificent to watch. It was like, why do we even have rules? Because they're not following them. But... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, So Shanahan's name's being brought up a little more, and I think that's fair, because he definitely has a part in the thing. But uh, if you want to go to Sheldon Keefe now, um, what are your thoughts on Sheldon Keefe? You know, he's followed, he's followed Dubas everywhere he's gone, from Sault Ste. Marie to the Marlies and now here. Uh, what, what do you want to see Sheldon Keefe uh, uh, implement, and what do you think he will implement? Basically, I just want to see, like, the 16, 17 Leafs with better players. Yeah, I mean... That's fair. Like, like I, I think, I don't think Sheldon, as much as we talk about Dubas being this forward thinker and wanting to win differently and everything, like, I think the blueprint's pretty clearly there to anyone who's ever watched and or just looked at the Leafs cap friendly. Yeah. How they're going to win hockey games. Well, and it's not like Sheldon Keefe is this analytical nerd who's never played the game. The guy played over 100 NHL games. Yeah. That was the Garrett Hole thing going around. Yeah. He beat out Spezza for Rookie of the Year yeah. in, the o- in the OHL. He beat out Ray Ferraro in a fight one year, too. Oh, actually? Yeah. That's funny. I mean, Ferraro, he was, again, that was from TSN 1050. Apparently, Ferraro was like 38 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Keefe was like, I don't know, 20-something. But he's like, yeah. Sorry about that, man. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, he, he's a guy who's played the game, and uh, he still clearly takes a more analytical view to it. And He must. The amount, like, Dubas, with Dubas going out of his way to say Babcock and him didn't see eye to eye. Yeah. Hiring Keefe is obviously well, just implying that and, that's someone who does. And right? Dubas' interview yesterday again, too, he's like, I've never disagreed with anyone more than I disagree with Sheldon Keefe. But he's like, the, the thing is, we disagree in ways that we always come to a conclusion. So it's like, no, yeah. I don't think this. And then you'll say, no, look at this, this, and this. He goes, okay, maybe I can see that. What about this, right? So it's like, it, it sounds like just that, like a healthy process of how things should work. Um, and I think that should be good. And I'm not saying that's not what him and Babcock had. But I think it's very clear that um, when Dubas made a decision, Babcock would do everything he could despite that decision <laughs> at times. Yeah, like, ba- yeah, Babcock was openly spiting yes. decisions Dubas made with the roster. Same with, like, coming out day one that he acquires Muzzin and goes, well, he's not right-handed, so we'll see what we can do. Like, yeah. come on. Like, what are you doing? Like, I have confidence Sheldon Keefe isn't in this alternate universe where Keefe was the coach last year. That's not what Keefe says about no, the No, he'd be like, yeah, we just got, like, a huge talent in, like, boost or whatever. And I don't know, like, I've... I haven't followed Sheldon Keefe up time, but like, uh, I live, obviously, closer to Toronto than I do Ottawa, so a bunch of my friends are... Uh, Toronto fans, a bunch of my people, yeah, you, uh, the bunch of people I follow on Twitter are Toronto fans. So You basically can't not at least passively follow the yes. Leafs if you're interested in hockey and live around here. So, I follow a bunch of, like, Toronto people, and Marley's people as well. Jeff Fayette is uh, someone who does extensive work with the Marley's, and he was always there, and there would be always some great quotes coming out from Sheldon Keefe, you know? Yeah. Like, it just, and not about, like, analytics or anything, just... Like, the ways, what he saw while playing the game, or, like, when how the players were playing the game. It's like, yeah, I want us to try and switch this up tactically. It's like, okay, like, that's, yes, that's good. It's not just dump, hit, let's go. Like, or it's not at the end of the game. Like, I get you're not going to come out and say all your tactics or anything like that. Yeah. But you need to have something a little more than, ah, you know what, we just got to keep grinding. Uh, 
You know, just keep grinding. The effort's there. We'll get there sometime. And that's what Babcock's quotes were this year. That being said, you look at, like, a Belichick or somebody. His quotes after they go and shit the better, just like, what was the one? It's like, we're on to Seattle yeah. or whatever. Like, he doesn't... But the, some coaches the difference can't is go it's a tangible, not say anything either, The difference right? is it's a tangible difference what Belichick's team does from one week to the next. Because he'll go and be like, ah, no, nothing needs to change. And then we'll come with a different scheme offensively completely. Yeah. It'll be nothing you saw the night, the week before. Babcock's obviously not yeah. that level of coach. But I just mean, like, I'm not sure I would say much of well, any if, interest to the media if I was a coach. If Babcock came out and said, we just got to keep grinding, but then you saw a tangible difference in his play, I'd be like, yeah, that's totally fine. Because yeah. it'd be like what Belichick did. But it's not. It'd be, yeah, we got to keep grinding. And then they just go out and... Keep grinding, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. Just so, the quotes. People get really pissed at Babcock quotes, but, like, I don't know. I don't want... Like, they're clearly playing the media. Kind of. Or like, but, like... They're I, not... Oh, they're, I think you can say they're playing the media sorry. if you see a difference in what they're doing on ice. So, also, playing the media implies he was playing some, like, 4D chess or whatever. They're just not being open yes, with the media, I guess. Which I is say. fair enough, but again, the problem is I feel like he's not being this closed-off guy to the media because he's not doing anything to change what he's saying. He's saying, oh, we got to keep grinding, and then what they go and throw on the ice is just the exact same product as they did. Yeah. So to me, that symbols that he actually did just think they need to quote-unquote keep grinding. You know, and grinding obviously is not just hitting everyone, but like keep playing the way they're playing, right? Like to me, that that's the biggest difference. And you, yeah, like you don't need to come out and say we got to do this, this, and this. But it's like it's also refreshing to hear a coach. Like I'm not blaming a coach. Like, oh no, it's... if they don't want to, but it's also refreshing to hear a coach say, "Oh yeah, you know, like we were we we're taking too many point shots or whatever. We should try and you know get our head up, look look for the guy in the slot." I thought there was a couple times where we saw player X in a location, we just didn't do it, or you know, just stuff like that. It's probably good for the sport. When it, yes, it absolutely like is. But and you know, I'm not gonna blame a coach. Like, let's say Keith just comes out and he's like, yeah, no, we just got to keep working hard. You know, it's like, or it's like, yeah, we're really taking uh, the Ottawa Senators or whoever, the Detroit Red Wings, we're taking them real seriously yeah. here. Like, the Belichick quotes to an 0-12 team when he's playing them. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, if he says that but then comes out and you can see that there's just a clear difference in the way they're playing and they're improving on what they were doing wrong, I have no problem with that. Yeah. But if you're coming out and saying, oh, yeah, no, we're, we're playing perfectly, and then you just continue to play... That's where my issue is, because it does single signal that you think they're playing perfectly. And that's the issue, to me. Yeah, that's fair. I don't think he thought that... Like, he was making... Obviously not I don't perfectly, but Babcock like... Babcock wasn't making the changes I wanted to see or anything, but, like, he was making some changes. I don't... Like, like he made some at the beginning of the year, and I gave him credit for that. But I think yeah. from, like, games, like, five through... Like, in that six-game losing streak, he just... Like, they went on the Western road trip out to Vegas. He goes, oh, yeah, I got a whatever-hour flight to check to see what my roster changes are going to be. There's going to be some big changes. He put Pierre Evangal on the fourth line, and that was it. Yeah. And then maybe switched, like, Kerfoot to somewhere or something like that, too. Or Kerfoot was out. I don't know. It was someone else switched one position from the fourth line to the third line. And that was the only changes he made. It's like, like okay, come on. Like, you're on a five-game losing streak. you got to do a little more different than that. Yeah, the other thing is when you have a team as talented as the Leafs that are this bad, your changes have to work, which, like, I don't... I can't point to many things this year that Babcock has done and go, like, this worked really well. No, Other it, than putting Matthews and Nylander together, but I would have done that, so and you my don't really deserve And my biggest there. issue, too, is, like, if this team was on a five-game losing streak, but let's say they're, like, eighth in expected goals, and they're just... They can't get a save, or they're shooting 2% or whatever, I'm not gonna... Probably not gonna blame Mike Babcock on that. 
No. Like, yeah, it's a five-game losing streak that's incredibly unlucky. But the thing is, like, I don't know where they are in expected goals now. Let's find out. At five on five, they are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, ninth. Ninth last. Yeah, last. So, 22nd. Which is just not where a team like this should be. No, they should be, like, fourth. Yeah, and I mean, they're in fourth in Corsi, but the thing is, they're just taking point shots. Yeah. Which they... are, like, the least, like... Like, like, it's better to have more shots than the other team, obviously, but you need to have a mix of that and the quality of the shots. Yeah. Um, it's more predictive because, on average, quality regresses toward quantity in the long run, but, like, if you're actively choosing to just take bombs from the blue line, <laughs> yes. it's that, like, regression to the mean isn't magic. No, you shouldn't expect regression to, for your expected goals if all your shots are just bombs from the point trying to get a tip in or whatever, yeah. right? Um and so, yeah, I don't like that's the kind of style I think they need to switch. And if if it would have been that you know this team in the last eight games or whatever was just playing at this dominant expected goals pace, but they just like Freddie was just a sieve or something, or like they just had the worst shooting clock we've seen in a while. Yeah, that wouldn't be on Babcock in my opinion. But yeah, it's possible for the Leafs to have this record and Babcock to have done well. Yes, but. I don't think that's true. No, not in this case. Definitely not. Um, and you look at their division that they're in. They're in tough. Uh, this is a this is a tough division. <laughs> yeah. Boston's very good. The Panthers have, they need some goaltending, but they're still finding ways to win games. If Bob starts making a save, that team is going to be very very good. Yeah, and I think it's a safe bet that Bob's probably not going to crap the bed the entire year. Even if he gets up to like a nine hundred, which is he's at an eight seventy five, I think year round right now. It's been That's that bad. So bad. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I can check, but like even if he like just improves it by like a couple points, that team will be much better. Um, and, you know, Montreal's not a bad team. They've struggled a little recently, but Claude Julien's a very, very good coach. He's going to get the most out of that team. Like Carolina Light, basically. Yeah, you're waiting for the Tampa Bay Lightning to wake up, uh, and you're screwed if they do, because you're going to be pushing for the wild card spot well, soon. The Tampa Bay Lightning haven't woken up yet, and they're two game, two points back with five games in hand yeah. and an 11 better goal differential. So. Yes, and they haven't woken up. Bob's at an 886 this year, by the way. Jesus. Yeah, so like even if he gets to like a 905 or something like that for the rest of the year, that'll be an insane boost. So is their power play just... Their offense has just been amazing. Oh. I mean, their defense, I don't think... From what... I, like, I, I haven't watched many Panthers games. I haven't looked at their defense or anything like that. But um, they're... From uh, what my friend said to me anyways is a lot of the... Or not a lot, but like half the goals aren't always on Bob. Their defense hasn't been awesome. Well, their defense core isn't great. No, uh, it's okay, but it's not like it's not this amazing defense core by any means. So it's like there's a lot of times where it's like, okay, what do you expect him to do about that? But then there's also some where it's like, man, you you need to make a save here. Yeah. Or it'll just be like a point shot where it's like that just can't go in. You were unscreened and you just let that go. Well, that's the problem, right? You can play a hockey game where a goalie lets in five goals, and you look at each individual goal and you're like, that's not his fault. But like at some point, you just can't let in. That many goals. Yeah. Um, okay, I don't have much more to say on Toronto. Do you? No, I'm excited to see what Keith does. I tuned into a Toronto game for the like voluntarily last night for the first time in a couple weeks this year. I was excited to yeah. watch a Toronto game last night for the first time since the opener. Usually, if they're like on, I'll tune into it for a little bit or like flip back and forth. But like last night was the first time in a very long time I've put myself out of my way to go watch a Toronto game because I want to see what the team would look like. And it was only one game. I thought they looked they didn't look great, 
I didn't yeah, think, but I like I thought they looked like, like they were giving a little bit more of an effort. Uh, there was a couple plays where it was like uh, one of the things that really stood out to me was the um, the puck support in their own end. There was one play where I tune in and it was all five guys touched the puck. They couldn't clear it, which wasn't ideal, but the the all five guys were supporting the puck. So it was one, they get it out, the Arizona guy would try and get a stick on it, the second Leafs player would come in and cycle through, and then the third Leafs player would come in and give him support. So it was, they couldn't get it out of their own, but they had it for 90% of the time. The Arizona player, it wasn't like they were just letting Arizona walk around, it was puck support, and that's stuff like that where it's just like you see the team, like I think the, the new coach boost is absolutely a thing. I think, especially when it's just time for a coach to go, I think there are times where players will, you know, get a little bit more motivated. I don't think it's a long-term thing that you can count on um, being a thing, but I think it's absolutely fair to say, you know, because from all accounts, if you got your coach fired, you're going to feel like shit, even if you didn't like the coach. I would think so. You're going to be like, oh, damn, like, this guy's out of a job, and that's on us. You know, we don't want that to happen again. Let's try it. Let's go out and give her for, you know, the road trip or whatever. Yeah, unless he's actually, like, a vile human. Human yes. being, which like by all accounts, Babcock was actually a great dude yes. away from hockey. So there, there's right. always there's always going to be the one or two cases where a guy just absolutely hates. But even then, he's going to be more motivated to go prove to the new guy that you know, hey, we got to finally we got a new guy in here. I don't hate this dude. Let's <laughs> go and play for him, right? Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what that boost is for a couple games, and then it'll be interesting to see once that boost wears off, what systems they're implementing to try and get the team going uh, a bit higher than they have been all year. Yeah. Um, and I think one thing, it'll probably take longer than most people would like, even though they did win last night, so like maybe they rile off a five-game winning streak or whatever, but like I don't expect them to look super different. Well, there's only so much hot. you can do, right? Yeah. And especially when you're on the road like this. They're on a Western road trip. They're in Vegas. Keith had a morning skate as his first practice, so he's like, you can't do much with that. No, it's you like, can't overhaul a system in a no, morning skate. Yeah, it's like, you, like we just tried. I just tried to get him to focus on one or two things. This is what we want to look at, but play. Uh, the, the message by all accounts was play more freely, and I think that's very fair for this team to do. Yeah, and uh, I think that was pretty obvious. Like they're going to open it up. I yes. think everybody knows that. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, so by all accounts, you know, that's kind of what they're doing. But it's going to take even while they're on the road trip. Like you just you have a travel day now, so they were in Arizona last night. They're probably traveling today, but you're probably not going to do a massive practice today because I believe they're back on the ice tomorrow or Saturday. Yeah. Or so I guess tomorrow is Saturday, so it would be tomorrow probably. It's probably just logistically difficult yeah. to do a ton of practicing when you're in the middle of a road trip. Yeah, yeah, in general, right? Like when you only have one day, you can maybe get a skate in here or there and you know try and work on little things, but it's not you can't overhaul a whole system. No. It's not like you're going to be doing tons of video on the road either. So. No, because you got to travel and yeah. all those things. So um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, that took up. 30 minutes of this podcast. We do have a couple other notes we want to get to. There's a couple big things that happened. Uh, I'm going to get to... Let's go to the older news first. I want to get to Matt Calvert on the ice. Uh, he took a point shot, I believe... I think it was a point shot from the other team off his to his head, and he was yep. bleeding, and he went down on the ice. Now, he wasn't obviously bleeding on the ice until he took his helmet off. However, he was laying on the ice... Tried to get up, stumbled and couldn't, and the play went on. It went on for a solid 30 seconds, and the Vancouver Canucks ended up scoring. And the Avs, in my opinion, were rightfully absolutely livid. Yeah, I'd be pretty pissed off. So here what the discussion was uh, this past week was, can we make a rule where it's like, if a guy's down on the ice, you blow the whistle? Don't do that. Because then people will just start going, they'll block a shot in the shins and just go on the ice, get the whistle, be like, oh yeah, no, no, I'm fine. However, there is already a rule for this situation. 
Well, that's the thing. Things don't need to be so black and white. Like, it doesn't have to be... The, ne- rule, the rule in the book already states you have to... Uh, the team has to have possession of the puck unless it looks like a serious injury. Yeah. To me, a dude taking the puck off the head looks like a serious injury. And then stumbling on his way yeah. up. Like, that is the time where the refs should and, I guess, do have the power to be like, look... This is a problem. Let's stop the play because there are more important things in this life than whether this team gets a shot on goal or not. Exactly. And I'm not going to criticize the rest for not seeing blood because, I mean, there is four officials, but I didn't, like, on the replay, I didn't see him bleeding from the camera until he took his helmet off. Yeah, it wasn't as obvious as I expected it to be. But when you take a shot off the head and you're sitting there, you know, in like, literally just laying on the ground, he didn't move at all as soon as he took it off the head. And then you try and get up and you literally stumble to the ground. One of the refs have to be like, okay, this is enough. Even Elias Pedersen was, like, standing around him. Like, he didn't want to play. He's like, okay, what is going on here? And, like... Like, I don't blame... So, I, I, there's not much to talk about here, I don't think, because there's I think a, everybody's on the same page, more Generally speaking, I just feel like people don't realize there's a rule in place for this. I the, it was the, it's the refs, I assumed there wasn't. It, it was the refs who screwed it up. Because you need possession in your own end, unless it's a serious injury. Yeah, and that's one of those things where you can err on the side of caution, and I'm going to give you a lot of leeway. Where if you see a dude take a puck to the head, and you're like, all right, I'm going to blow this dead because that looked dangerous, and then the dude gets up. Sure, the other team's going to have to go win the face-off to get possession back or whatever now, but, like, it's better to be cautious when dudes yeah. are taking pucks to the brain. If a dude takes a puck off the foot, even if he was a broken foot, I wouldn't consider that a life-threatening injury or anything like that. I would understand why the ref goes, no, you need possession and we'll blow it down the second you get it, right? It's a head injury. Yeah. The guy could have died for all we know. Like, I'm sure people have died yeah. from less than a... 80, so, 90 mile an hour puck to the head. Like, the refs just screw this up. And then, so the other debate, I guess, online was, do you blame the Canucks for still playing? I don't. You no. play you play to the whistle, that's the thing. And I bet you three of the Canucks didn't even realize that he was down on the ice. Yeah, it's pretty fast board. It's on the refs there. You know, to, yeah. to me, it's on the refs. I don't blame the Canucks for keeping on playing, but I do blame the refs for butchering the rule. Because, yeah, and if I was... And, and I, I get that the refs didn't want to blow it down, and then people are like, what the hell, we could have... Because they did end up scoring, but it's like... As soon as he takes his helmet off, he's bleeding. The ref goes, yeah, you want to keep being an asshole about it now? Yeah, Didn't think so. There are more important things in life than a goal. Exactly. Especially because, I mean, the Avs ended up winning, but it was in overtime. Like, the the Canucks ended up coming back because because they got that goal. They got a point out of it, probably, yeah. Yeah, and um, they're not in the same division, but that could be big if it comes to a wild card or something like that, right? So, um, Or, hell, even uh, seeding in the playoffs. If yeah, those two teams, who in the yeah, if those teams two meet, or even like the like say the conference finals or something like that. If like I don't necessarily think those are the two teams I'd pick, but let's say they go on a run, you know. But I mean, that's again, that's way more minor than a head injury. Yeah, like because there's other ways you can get points. Um, yeah, exactly. Like uh, I'd much rather just you know have the safety of the player uh, be accounted for, and I think that kind of moves into uh, another discussion about player safety that we have here. Garrett Hathaway was suspended three games by, for spitting. Now, he was not suspended by the Department of Player Safety. It was Colin Campbell, the, the the rules committee and everything like that. Okay. Because there's no rule about not spitting on a dude. because Or there's no like defined set amount of games. So this is has not... Has it ever happened before? I'd imagine it, it. Yeah, it has to have happened a couple times. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I don't like. I don't know if they would have suspended someone for it back in the day or not. But so I have a lot of just. I don't know what to make of the situation because 
So if you missed it, uh, the Capitals, Garrett Hathaway, got absolutely sucker punched by Eric Goodbranson in a scrum. And the way he responded to that was just uh, leaning back and spitting right on his face. You can't do that. No. You can't do that. No, you cannot do that. Now, I'm not going to defend what he said, or what he did. No, it's The fact the that Eric Goodbranson didn't take more shit for sucker punching a dude who was held back by the refs also blows my mind. Yep. Goodbranson probably should have been suspended as well. Yeah, I would be pretty comfortable. I would be perfectly happy if they suspended people for sucker punching yes. guys in the head. Yeah. Especially when, like, if it's, like, in a scrum or whatever and it's, like, you give him a shot and it just ends up being not a great one, but you can clearly see it coming. I would still be fine with the suspension, but at least that would be like, yeah, I understand why the league's not going to do that. He was being held back by by a linesman, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And Gabranson just reached around and suckered him. Now, I am fine for three games for spitting. I, that's, you shouldn't spit. I, I have a couple more questions. I have a lot to say about this. You want to know something odd? What? A dude spit on Runstedler when we were in grade 11, and they, like, I think he got a nine-game suspension, which is, like, the in, max. In minor hockey, I believe it's just, like, a gross misconduct. And they fired him. He was a timekeeper, and they fired him. Yeah, that doesn't surprise yeah. me. Yeah. Um, so I, the minor hockey took this more seriously yes. than the NHL. Yeah. Minor hockey has set suspensions for that kind of stuff. Um, so, I would like, if we're going to... Me and you were always on the case of more games is better. Yep. Um, three games is more, way more than I thought. I wasn't even sure he was going to be suspended, if I'm being honest. Yeah, it's a tough one because, like, like, it's easy to compare violence against violence, like in terms of, like, the Rafi Torres's yeah. kind of hits versus, like, a check from behind that maybe a dude goes in awkward or something. But, like, it's really kind of tough to scale yeah. spitting relative well, to... And I don't even care about scaling it because you're gonna get people as like, oh yeah, head checking guys only one game. It's like we're spitting like spitting's worse than head checking, right? It's like, well, I guess by this definition, yes, but I also think head checking should be more than that too, right? Like, yeah, it's like true. just because they they royally screw up one kind of thing doesn't mean I think they need to royally screw up a second kind of thing. Yeah. So I am fine with the three games for uh, spitting. I absolutely think that Gabranson should have got something for sucker punching him. Um, that doesn't make what he did excusable. Uh, it's kind of like, it, obviously nowhere near as serious as this, but the Browns and Miles Garrett. Um, so now it's coming out yeah. that Miles Garrett said that uh, um, uh, Mason Rudolph used a racial slur against him. That's why he got so mad. This came out a week and a half later. Yeah. So I don't know why you wouldn't say that to start. But that could be embarrassing. Like, yeah, but that's a whole different topic. Like you're Either Miles way, freaking Garrett, yeah, and he comes out and he goes. Yeah, like he, I, I know what I heard, but that also doesn't excuse my actions. I shouldn't have hit him over the head. Yeah, and that's fair. It's the same kind of thing with this. It's like, yes, the guy sucker punched me, and he should be disciplined too. Just like if Rudolph did call him a racial slur, he should be disciplined as well. But that doesn't excuse uh, spitting on a guy or beating a guy over the head with his helmet. Obviously, two very, very different uh, dangers. Um, <laughs> yeah, but and, but the, the punishment was different too. Garrett's been suspended for half a season in a football season. Hathaway's missing what a fifth or like a five percent of his? Yeah, if that. If that, like, yeah, probably about five percent. Yeah, five percent, yeah. I would say. But um, so I know that you know Capitals fans weren't happy with it, and I get not I get not being happy with it given what the other guy got nothing. But just in terms of the event itself, I think you have to 
you have to give him a suspension. Yeah, they definitely had to suspend him. I don't envy the person that had to decide how long. No, not at all. Um, and again, I want to clarify, it was not Department of Player Safety. Yeah. So don't, and I mean, Department of Player Safety, I have been very critical of them this year. I think they've done a garbage job. They've made one on-ice suspension so far this year. It's like, they see, and there has been stuff you can give at least a game or two for. There's, yeah. And but they're just not doing anything. It's like, what are you even getting paid for here? Like, you've given out like four fines and then a one, two-game suspension. Yeah. Like, come on, give me a break. But, um, my, okay, here's my other question. How much worse to you is spitting versus licking? That's a good question. They're probably I think it's worse. Reasonably similar. I think it's I think spitting worse. is worse. Yeah. But I think the the vast like difference in discipline is crazy. Yeah, I find that odd. Because like if you're gonna give like They're not that far off, are no, they? No, they're not. I think spitting is Spitting worse. is grosser. Like sp- spitting by all accounts has more bacteria and stuff in it than just licking a dude. Because it's not just your saliva when you're licking a dude. <laughs> now, yeah, like if we're at a party and like Blake licked me, like I'd be like, "That's pretty weird." Like, what the hell are you doing? If he spit on me, that would be like a <laughs> you're like, different. You're level. getting ready to throw hands, yes. Yeah. And so, like, I think maybe the difference is licking it like affects them too. Like, you're licking a sweaty dude <laughs> if you're licking a guy. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's right, but like you're probably getting the worst of the two. Yeah, I can't say Especially that. in the playoff. Like, I mean, even just in general, like, you're licking some dude's sweaty facial hair. Yeah, I don't really want to lick Leo Comrade's <laughs> no. beard. <laughs> but, like, versus, like, you're spitting on a dude. You're not taking anything from that. You're just spitting on a guy. So I think it is worse than licking. Spitting's also partially just, like, a cultural thing. Yes, yeah, for so sure. Like, like, I don't know enough about... like different cultures to know if it is everywhere else but like i feel like there is a bit of a cultural like disrespectful thing to spitting on i mean yeah like if you're at a bar and you're trying to get a guy throw hands and he just turns around and spits spits on you you, like like i I know that's stupid like it sounds stupid but like it's just it's so and that's why i'm not going to defend it against a sucker punch necessarily but (laughs) like i wanted to bring up the licking versus spitting thing because i thought it was an interesting debate and honestly if you want to tell me that martian should have been suspended two games for licking or one playoff game if you want to double whatever for licking i would be like yeah that's fine especially the second (laughs) time he did it yeah like just go out there and try not to swap bodily fluids exactly like of mentality yeah and so I don't know. Like I think licking is definitely worse, but like you mean spitting or spitting is definitely worse. But like it is an interesting debate to have and one that I don't want to have. But it's <laughs> like we get, like I figured we should talk about it. Yeah, uh, it's definitely worth bringing up. Yeah, uh, I think yeah there is something just fundamentally like it. It feels worse to spit on someone than punch someone in any situation, even though it definitely it, it shouldn't be worse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it just feels more disrespectful to spit on someone. I think disrespectful is probably yeah. the right word. It's yeah. not, it's less dangerous to spit on someone, but it's just, like, and I know diseases or whatever, yeah, right? But generally speaking, like, you're not going to catch something from someone spitting on you versus you could easily get a concussion from being sucker punched. I but... got sent an article yesterday saying, is the plague making a comeback? <laughs> so maybe spitting is more dangerous than oh punching. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where to go from there. I feel like... 
I feel like we've said enough on this topic. Probably. My, my, my point remains, I think three games is fine. I think Branson should have got some, something as well. Don't sucker punch, guys. Don't spin on people. Agreed. Um, that's pretty much my general <laughs> take from this. Don't lick people either. But it's it's more gross on you if you lick someone. So, yes. Uh, one last thing. Um, I don't know how long this will stretch. Uh, this might be a little shorter episode. Although, I usually say that, and then our last topic just stretches like 25 minutes. Well, usually the last topic's the Leafs. That's and true. for like 40. Um, the Calgary Flames... They are not doing very good, and they are in the news quite a bit lately. Um, yeah, kind of out of left field. So there's been talks about them trading Johnny Goudreau, and then also apparently, I haven't listened to 31 Thoughts yet this week, but apparently Friedman mentioned they could look at moving Sean Monahan as well. I can't, I cannot <laughs> stress enough how bad either of those ideas would be. Especially, so <laughs> I'm not sure catastrophic would quite capture how stupid that would like, be, unless they're getting Drysaitel and McDavid in return yeah. or something like that. Like, okay, so what what I will say about the Goudreau thing is, um, Freeman did come out on the radio. He said, "No, I don't think their plan is to move him at this time." He said, "Maybe in the off season, if things don't get better, they'll look at it, but uh, they're not going to just move him for cheap. It needs to be a, a big price, which is fair." Yeah, I would be asking for a ton for Johnny Goudreau. Yes, so because here's the thing. One of these times that NHL NHL teams are going to realize that trading players at their lowest possible value is a bad thing. To do. Where do you think the Flames rank in P, rank in PDO right now? I don't, it's got to be they've got to be pretty unlucky. I would assume <laughs> they're second last. Yes. just the prime time to trade your star players is when you're second last in PDO. Well, like to be fair, when my star player is at 99 points last year and 84 points this year, or sorry, the 18. year before that. Oh. Um. He's on pace for 59 points this year. You should probably trade him because he's probably yeah. just a bust. It's probably that he, these 25 games confirm that he's bad. Yeah, and not... especially at age 26. Yeah. Like, he's probably fallen off a cliff already. He's cooked. Um, Like, come on. Like, I, I just... One of these times people are going to realize... One of these times people are going to realize that trading guys like John Gabriel Peugeot in Ottawa and, like, even even to lesser extent, guys who are, like, shooting, say, 15%. Just selling high. Yeah, on selling teams. high on those guys who have two years left on their contract is a much better idea. Like, almost like JT Miller, kind of. Like, yeah. the, I think Tampa's kind of a good point on that. Um, they're going to realize that it's a better idea than selling at the lowest possible value. This reminds me a lot of how St. Louis was... Tr- apparently trying to move Tarasenko last year when they started struggling. Yeah, and... Except this would be worse because Goudreau's better. And, yeah, I say, and younger, and... On a... Better deal. Like, he's yeah. at three years at three... Or at 6.75 left. Like, that's a steal. That's an awesome contract. Uh, Monaghan's also at 18 points in 25 games, so both of them are on pace for 59 points. So if there's one thing you want to do, it's trade your first-line winger and centerman when it's there on their worst possible production rate. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, and now, the Flames are alarmingly similar to the Leafs, actually. They are struggling. Like, they are struggling. They are, like, they are Toronto West. Yeah, except worse, I think. They are second last in their division right now. Only the Kings are worse than them. Uh, they're tied Now, they're tied for second last with the Ducks and the Sharks, but they have two more games played than those guys. So they're, the Oilers are at 31 points and first in their division at the time of recording. The Flames are at 23 points and are second last. And the Oilers have one game less played. So they are in trouble. They do, But being in trouble doesn't mean you need to trade away the good players on your team. No, it means Bill Peters is probably getting fired, right? I would assume so. And I don't know. I never know what to think about Bill Peters. He, I want to say he's probably somewhere in the middle of what analytics say about him and what the general consensus say, says about him. Yeah, he's tough because, like, 
Brent, like, it's not like the Flames missed a beat without him. And no. It's hard to tell if that was because... And, I mean, the team was so good in Carolina analytically, but, like, they couldn't get a save for years. But then you brought out, you also brought in Curtis McElhaney and Peter Morazic of all people. Yeah. And the team just turns into, like, an Eastern Conference final team. It's like, okay, well, what do we put into stock for this? And I think it's probably fair to say that Peters is one of those coaches where it's like, he probably doesn't impact your team in a tremendously positive way as much as we want to think. But also... He's not wrecking your team either. But he's going to be the fall no, guy. Because, like, they were really good last year. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, they were also really good two years ago, too, without it. Like, in terms of underlying numbers, if I'm... Were they? Like, I'm pretty sure. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I'm pretty sure they were pretty good two years ago underlying. Let's check. But 5v5. Score venue adjusted. They were sitting... Oh, yeah, they were seventh in yeah. expected goals. So, and it's like better than I expected, actually. Yeah. And, like, Carolina is the same way, where it's like two years ago they were really good under him, and then last year they were the same, and maybe even. I don't, I don't know what they I were last year. I don't think a ton really changed. Pucks just started going in more. and Yeah, but so you just kind of look, and I don't know. He's an interesting coach. I know a lot of people who aren't analytically thinking think he's one of the worst coaches in the league, and I'm not going to go that far. No. That being said, I also think it's fair to say that, you know, he's, I mean, he's not a top five coach. No, I don't think but he's this. He's probably like fifteenth. Yeah, he's probably but just fine. just just like in that in that range where it's like he doesn't. He's probably not gonna. If your team's really really bad, he's probably gonna help them a little bit. If your team's really really good with a good coach, he's probably gonna bring you down a little bit. But he's not gonna kill your season. But the team's just not playing well enough. I mean, and not maybe not even that, but they're not getting shooting percentage or save percentage luck and. The, co- the coach is usually the one who takes the ball for that. Yeah, they have a bit of the Leafs thing going on where, like, they're decent by shots, but then the more you filter it down to look at the quality, it gets worse. Yeah, it's slightly under 50. Yeah. Which isn't quite as bad as the Leafs, I don't think, but it's still the Leafs, similar to what the Leafs' problem is, Yeah, it's right? the same sort of concept, at least. Yeah. Except their record is just worse. So, I mean, I don't know. I, again, could you see Babcock going to Calgary? Oh, I guess I could see that. I wanna, sorry about the Babcock talk. Where do you think you'd see him going next? I don't know. I have that's a an... couple destinations. I think it could be a struggling team that's good and should be good. So, like, let's say Tampa keeps struggling. If they fire John Cooper, Babcock I could see going there. I don't know if he'd fit with that system well because it, it's kind of like the Leafs, really. It would be really interesting to see him coach the Tampa Bay Lightning. Calgary I could see. Yep. Calgary, I could definitely see because you can totally imagine them firing Bill Peters if they lose like two more games or yep. whatever. Um, Nashville, I could see if they continue where they are right They're second last as well. They're also on a six game losing streak. Yep. Um, San Jose. Now, San Jose is starting to win again, so I, I don't know if uh, DeBoer is really going to lose his job, but San Jose might be a team. Yeah, or if he wants to sit and collect his check for a couple years, Seattle. Seattle would be really interesting. Yeah, it just depends how long he wants to stay out of the game. I don't view him as a guy who really wants to stay out for too long, but maybe. Maybe he does. I was uh, diving into Seahawks Twitter yesterday, and a whole bunch of them were talking about Babcock going to Seattle. <laughs> I thought that was really strange, Yeah, Nick, I, 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 I if, could see it. If he wants to spend some family time and collect his, I think it's $15 million he still owed, uh, Bob McKenzie said, maybe he just wants to do that. Yeah, could, do they front load Yeah, they front, they front loaded okay. it, apparently. Because it'd be like twenty plus yeah, if they didn't. Yeah, no. Because but... I think I believe he was on the radio and said it was roughly like five point something for the next three years that he has left. So. Okay. But it, it's a good, good chunk of money. But I also think Babcock's one of the more competitive human beings on this earth. I'll be really surprised if that's like the last we've oh, seen. Oh, him. oh like, no, he definitely... is definitely coming back. I would say at one time. I just don't know if it'll be like right away, like at the end of this year, or if it'll be I'm going to collect my check, you know, have some time to look over what I did, have some family time, yeah. and then go I assume somewhere he has else like or not. A... 
family and everything. So. Oh yeah, he has kid, he has two kids, I believe. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past well, him just because chilling for his, a while. His quote it. was, "If my kids were younger, because I think they're I think they're teenagers or something. Oh, like, he's they're not probably a young. Dude, yeah, they're right? probably like our age, almost maybe a little older. Yeah. He's like, if my kids were younger, I wouldn't have come and coached in Toronto. Because like the pressure on me and the pressure on my like the kids in class." For my kids, would have been like, what on earth is your dad doing? Your dad sucks, That's right? Fair. You always hear those terrible stories about, like, the wives being harassed yeah, and things so. like that. But, um, yeah, so, sorry, back to the Flames. I just want to ask. Um, I, I think they're one of the teams that, you know, maybe you could fire your coach if you have a backup plan. I don't know what their backup plan would be. I don't know. Other than Babcock, I don't know who's on the market here. But they're also kind of in that thing where, like, the Leafs, you just need, like, something has to change and, like, don't think it's immediately obvious what it should be. So yeah. in that scenario, it is almost always the coach who does change. Right? Yep. And I mean, you want like this team should be going for it right now, given their core. Yeah. Uh, but and maybe their PDO spikes up and they go on like a seven-game winning streak, and this is all moot point. But maybe they don't. And they get a top five pick this year or something like that because they do have their all their draft picks, but they're fourth. So. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, obviously, you should be wanting to compete, but if it gets much longer than this, you have a tough, tough division to start leapfrogging teams in here. Yeah, especially if the Canucks are actually real, which every day that they sit near the top, it looks more and more like they are. Man, I didn't realize just how bad the Predators have been. Yeah, they kind of got masked because they started so hot, and then that kind of lingered in at least my memory for a while. And Like, they're worse than Chicago right now. That's a tough one. That's, that's really tough. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, and the Canucks couldn't buy a goal for a little while, so they've slipped a bit too. The Coyotes are thirteen eight and two, uh, and the Oilers are fourteen seven and three. At this point, like, like we're getting really close. Not yet, I don't think, but we're getting really close to the point where it's like, okay, the Oilers really just need to start. They need to have something not go completely wrong, and they might be in a playoff spot. Yeah, they can. <clears throat> like, even if McDavid and Dreisaitl keep producing at, like, what, 85% of what they're doing right now? like Something like they're, that. And they're, or 80% or 75%, you get, like, just a few more goals from your depth. Or them just keep getting goaltending. Yeah, I mean, Koskinen has been very, very good this year. Which is weird. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean. Actually, their goaltending hasn't been as good as I expected, but. Their Costa. overall numbers have been very good. Yeah. Uh, um, their 5v5 numbers, maybe not quite as much. But um, Koskinen has been very solid. Um, Peter Shirelli is a genius. That's all I can really say about that. True. Yeah. Uh, just like we all thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't. Like, we're getting to the point where like so many, in the, so many teams in this division have not bagged points that it's like in like 10 or 15 more games, if the Oilers are even playing on a remotely similar pace, they're going to be a team that's like, starting to look like a lock for some kind of playoff spot. Yeah, there's enough parity in this league that if you have, like, a six-point lead halfway through the season, the odds of a good team catching you are slimmer, like, quite slim, actually. Yeah, like, they need... To get 96 points, they need 65 more points in um, so 58 just games. over a point-per-game pace, yeah. which is not crazy when you have Connor McDavid. Yeah, like... And... The best player on their team, Leon Dreisaitl. James Neal. <laughs> True. Um, they were also, they were also in rumors. So, yeah, I guess just talk about rumors for a little bit. So the Flames don't trade your very, very good players, obviously. Two other teams I want to talk about in trade rumors. Uh, one was the Oilers because uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Willis had a pretty good article the other day on The Athletic about you know looking at who they might be able to trade uh, come the deadline. And two names he pointed out. Uh, he had three, but the one was Jesse Pugliarvi, which is a very obvious one. Yeah. Two other very likely ones was Chris Russell and Matt Benning, uh, which I thought was interesting. Uh, they have an over, uh, they have an influx of defensive talent because of uh, 
Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones. If only there were like a large group of people <laughs> telling them that the Chris Russell signing wasn't a good idea. Um, so now, so Chris Russell has a year and a half left at four million. So it'll be interesting to see if they can find a team to take that. I would hope not, but I'm sure somebody I, will. Yeah, like especially if they retain like a million dollars. Yeah. I mean, now I think they, they're retaining move. on Lucic. Yeah, he has a no move as well. Or like modified yeah. ten team. So maybe that affects it a little bit, but like. I don't know. Like maybe you could find a partner. I don't. I don't think you're gonna get much value for him. But I th- like, I think that's fine. Just get rid of him for no value. Yeah, I would be comfortable dumping that contract for it, especially because considerations. They've got look at all the UFAs and RF like the people they have to sign. Now a lot of those aren't big names. A lot of those guys are depth. But like, well, like they have to Dar- be replaced by somebody. Yeah, and Darnell Nurse, I believe, needs to be signed this off season. Uh, yes, I believe so. So that's where if you can move four million dollars in cap space next year to try and get to. Like, I, I don't know what Darnell's nurse is going to be paid. I think it'll probably be a little more... If he goes on a bridge, I could see it being, like, $5 million. They might have to bridge him. Well, I think they probably will. Like, 5 by 3 or something like that? Even 5 in this brave new world of RFAs. Uh, like, defensemen better than nurse were getting, like, 5 on a bridge. Yeah, I guess. Or at least you have more points, which is yeah. what they're going to look at. But my point is more just, like, if you can move Russell, theoretically the money that Russell's making would go to Nurse right now. Like, maybe not even all of it either, but, like, well, like, like that's where you get a good chunk of the cap space for Nurse. Um, but uh, they, there was an interesting name. Matt Benning, I don't even know. He's on. He's injured right now. He's, he's rumored to be going to the Leafs, so yeah, everybody kind of like looked a, into him. He's, he's like right. a number six defenseman where, you know, some team might be able to pick him up for the playoff run and... I would, like, if it's for, like, a fifth or whatever, I'm not going to complain about that. Yeah, if you're plugging him in on your third pair. Or a seventh D, even. Like, yeah, nobody's yeah. really batting an eye. No, exactly. So, it's kind and of then, expensive for that role, but... Yeah, but, I mean, once when he's only got this year, so yeah. it's not, like... If you have a team where it's, like, you have $4 million in cap come the deadline or whatever, like, yeah. you're going to be fine. Um, and then the other team I wanted to mention was the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, they have a ton of defensemen as well. Um, I haven't checked Rasmus Ristolainen's underlying numbers lately. They're not good. Oh, really? Okay. Because the start of the year, they were actually very good. Or, or sorry, I mean Sandy. Or Deline? Deline. Yeah, Deline has been very bad this year. Yeah. I don't know about Ristolainen, though. He, at the beginning of the year, at least had a bit of a resurgence in terms of... Not like... He wasn't, like, killing it, but... It, okay, his numbers are still bad on the evolving wild. defensive numbers look... Yeah, right, I say right yeah. He he turned his, he turned his play around where it was like he was good defensively and just a whole offensively. I'm gonna check natural stature real quick because I know he was like like he wasn't great, but he was like above fifty in like Corsi four and expected goals. He was still like the fourth defenseman on the team, but it was like he wasn't this this giant black hole every time he stepped he on the ice. He wasn't like third last in the league in yeah. Corsi Rel or whatever and he usually is. So it was weird to see. But my point is, they have a ton of defensemen. Um, so here's their list, and with Ristolainen being better, uh, it sounds like he's kind of out of trade rumors, which I don't know if I completely agree with. Still, if you could, maybe the value's just not there anymore. Yeah, possible, but I don't, I don't know about that either. Maybe it is because he's not putting up that many points anymore. Because yeah, he doesn't. But um, so here's their defense court. Like they have two, four, six, eight, nine defensemen on their NHL roster right now. That's ridiculous. Ristolainen, and maybe a couple of them are hurt. I don't know. Ristolainen, Zach Bogosian, Marco Scandella, Colin Miller, Brendan Montour, Jake McCabe, Rasmus Dahlin, Henry Yokoharu, John Gilmore. you got to trade some of those guys. because that's a lot of bodies. And that's a lot of decent bodies. Not great, but fine. So the, the name right now is Marco Scandella. One year, $4 million. That's probably a little rich for him. But if you retain, I think there's going to be absolutely some buyers. Yeah, I'm sure he could 
plug along on the bottom half of some team's lineup somewhere. Um, Colin Miller is a team, he's been healthy, scratched a bunch this year, and I just don't get why. I don't get why. Poor Colin Miller. He's making 3.875 for three more years, or two more years after this one, I guess. So that's one that I don't think teams are going to take. No. Um, I feel like... Not if... Yeah, because they just gave up assets for him. Everybody was praising him, and then, then they're turning around and scratching him. Yeah. Like, who that's... do you trade on this blue line, I guess? Cause, and they need still some more forward depth, I think is fair to say. So you try and look for trading a position of strength, relatively speaking, to a position of weakness where it's like if you can try and... Not even necessarily strength, just bodies. Yeah, but like NHL bodies. So yeah. like if you can look to make one of those trades where it's like you trade like a... A four, five, six type of guy for like a third or fourth liner kind of thing, right? To a yeah. team that needs some defensemen. Like if you could trade Marco Scandella for another Evan Rodriguez, that yeah, would be awesome. Exactly. Yeah. So something like that. I, I just, who of the names do you think uh, should they move, or who do you think they're going to move? Because here's, I think obviously y- Yokoharu and Deline are untouchable. Yep. Or for sure Deline, but Yokoharu, I'd be surprised if they move him unless it's just some king's ransom. Uh, at this point, I don't think they're going to move Ristolainen. I don't know what the value's like on him. He would be the first one I would look to move, but I would think Scandella and Bogosian, since they're more expensive, would be the first two they will look to move. Yeah. Um, I don't think they'll move Montour. Probably not McCabe. If some team wants McCabe, I could see them moving. Like, he's not going to be some untouchable guy. No, I don't mind. Like, he's. I don't mind any of these. Right. I don't mind most of these players, though. Yeah. It's like... I mean, obviously, Ristolainen plays too high, makes too much. Like, that's the one I mind the most. But, like, generally speaking, the term of the contract and the contract, I don't hate any of these players. Yeah, there are. Maybe. They really want Cody CC for Colin Miller one for one. <laughs> I could see Kyle Dubas doing something like that. I could see it, now that he's got his... The two, year, the, the, the two years left is a little bit more rough, because... I, Colin Miller's a very good player, but like this isn't a team that can be locking themselves into guys. No, no, they cannot. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting. See, I just want to bring them up and kind of talk about them. Mention that they have a, a logjam. So th- those will be the teams I would expect to start being busy soon. Ooh, geez, he has not been good this year either. No, Miller has struggled in his three hundred minutes. I mean, I would still give him a little more time than that, but yeah, I'd um, give him a shot. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything more to say to you. No, I don't think so. Pretty. Busy week. Uh, it's been nice having some something to talk about. If things uh, happen to slow down, we might look at having some guests uh, on soon. I was talking to Chase about it. Uh, we don't always do it too much because I find it's, I don't know, three people's doable. It's just a lot of people on a podcast sometimes. And also, once we had Todd, then it's pretty hard for any of the guests to... True. They got, they got big shoes to fill. Exactly. Um, <laughs> we So we will look to have some guests. If you have any names you want to hear on the podcast, uh, let us know, and we'll try and give them a shout. Uh, if there's anything you want to hear us talk about, especially if it's, you know, say there's not much that happens this week, uh, let us know, because we're always looking for stuff, you know, to try and dissect and look for. Uh, yep. But, yeah, other than that, thank you for listening. You can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NHLSens and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Uh, so if you don't have anything else, all good. that's all. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you all next week. Oh.